Greetings and thank you for listening to My Awakening Podcast, created to help us all become better citizens in a more diverse America. My name is Joe and I will be your host. In 2012, when I heard about the killing of Trayvon Martin, something shifted that no longer allowed me to disregard the many social justice issues that I heard on the news. Some new relationships and extensive reading and research since then has led to creating this podcast, allowing me to share this ongoing journey with you. Since announcing this podcast, there has been several recent tragic events further highlighting the deep racial divide that still exists in our country. Until we all join the outrage for this ongoing racial injustice, real change is not likely to happen. But if we work together, we can make the major systemic changes that are needed. My wife recently reminded me that I can't fix these long-standing problems, but I can help by shedding light on them. Bridging this racial divide will require all of us moving past our discomfort with talking about race and truly listening to understand what is happening around us. My initial guests will be sharing their journey as black Americans in a majority white society. Will you join with me in listening to their stories and concerns for America's future? Thank you for being with us today as we explore how to move America closer towards justice for all. On episode number three, I am excited to introduce my friend Jarvis. We have been good friends as well as golfing partners for several years now. Jarvis will bring a very personal and insightful view of racism in America to us all. I know that his growing up in Philadelphia, his 20 years of service in the U.S. Army, plus his current job working corrections in the county jail will make his conversation and experiences worth listening to. I hope this episode will speak to you in some new way to assist your greater understanding of America's deeply rooted systemic racism. Please remember to listen to truly understand and not to defend. I'm really happy to introduce my friend Jarvis today, who has agreed to be our guest. Welcome, Jarvis. Thank you for being with us today. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for being friends. Yeah. Well, thank you. We're not going to discuss golf scores on this, right? No, right. we're not going to discuss golf <laughs> scores. All right, so so Jarvis is our first guest from the East Coast, and uh, so I thought I would have him start by telling us a bit about growing up in Philadelphia. So, take it away. Oh, okay, um, I'm Jarvis. Joe told you that. Uh, born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, grew up in the projects mostly. Um, went to school there, and and. I was I was telling Joe earlier that I went to school there, and it was all black schools. It was all black elementary, junior high, and high school. Um, even did a a year and a half at a historically black university, Lincoln University. Shout out to them. <laughs> um, so my uh, exposure to whites, I'm, I'm gonna say white. I hope I'm not offending anybody. White, I like being called black. So 
You're not offending me calling me black. White is good. White is good. I, I'm sure you would say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I uh, grew up there, uh, raised by a single mom. I'm the youngest of four kids, uh, raised by my mom. I want to say raised by my two sisters, my grandmother, my aunt, and all that kind of stuff. So there wasn't a whole lot of male figures in, our, in my life. Uh, I had a couple uncles. Um, left Philadelphia to go in the military. How old were you when you left there? I left at about 22. I think I was 22 when I joined the military. Um, tell, tell us a little bit before you go on with that. Tell us a little bit about what you were sharing a, a bit ago regarding the, um, uh, your exposure to white people. How you describe well, that as sprinkling or something? Yeah, we, so so I grew up in Philadelphia, North Philadelphia. Um, and Philadelphia is kind of interesting at times. Uh, I think the city was divided up into uh, areas where, like, where I grew up, there were, there were mainly black folk. There, were, there was a section in there near my high school that was Puerto Rican. And they would, I thought, Puerto Rican was the only Spanish-speaking people in the world. In the world, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, in South Philly, they had some blacks, but the further you went in South Philly, they had whites and Italians and that kind of thing. Um, so as I got a little older, I found out that they had, I mean, I knew they had white people in Philadelphia, don't get me crazy, but um, it was just black for me. I was I was in a black school we learned black history. We did a, I went to Frederick Douglass Elementary, if I can say that. Um, and uh, I thought they gave me a great um, uh, education. And I thought I was pretty well-rounded in, in what I knew about black history. I knew about Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman and Christmas Addicts and all these famous black people and Martin Luther King and um, and then, of course, I learned about George Washington and Ben Franklin and all those folk, and that was good. But then as I got older, when I talk about the sprinkling of white people, I had some white teachers. Um, I knew white people from uh, going to stores downtown and doing that kind of thing. When I, when I got a little older, after high, after high school, I worked in South Philly, so I worked at an Italian bakery. And uh, so that was a pretty good exposure to white people there. I forgot about that. Um, when I at, worked at the bakery, at the bakery, yeah. it was an Italian bakery. <clears throat> what I didn't know was I, I thought all whites were the same too. So I didn't understand when I found out that they didn't like Irish people or um, Greek and that kind of thing. They, they, I was like, why are you arguing with them? They're white. What are y'all fussing about? And they were like, oh, them, them, and you know, they had derogatory names for them and all. And I was like, okay, that's, that's kind of crazy because you're all white. And I, I didn't see the the problem. With, with How old white. would you say you were when you were having these kinds of uh, well, I was, thoughts? I was out of high school. Okay. So this was, this was, I was 19, 20 years old by then. Okay. Um. So after that, um, I went to, 
went into the military to kind of get out of my environment there in Philadelphia and expose myself to some things. I told you I was raised around a bunch of women, so I wanted to try to get into, not getting all too personal, but I wanted to try to prove that I was a man and to do the things that I, that I thought men were supposed to do. Uh, I was in the Army. I was in a room with uh, seven other white guys in my basic training uh, area. And um, one day we were sitting there, we had become friends, we were sharing with each other, and they shared with me some black jokes that they knew. Uh, I, I don't know if I could say any of those here, but they shared with me some black jokes that were pretty derogatory. Um, and since we were friends, I listened to them, and I thought, that, that's crazy. What would y'all come up with jokes like that at? So then when they finished, they were like, tell us some white jokes. And I said, I don't have any white jokes. I said, y'all didn't live in my neighborhood, so it was like out of sight, out of mind. We didn't make up stories about white people growing up. Apparently, they were pretty concerned about black people in their neighborhoods, so they made up weird stories. And I remember thinking at that time that this race thing that, that was, you know, I was, I was aware of, it's probably growing because we don't communicate across racial lines. Whites believe what they're going to believe and they share what they believe with each other. Blacks believe what they believe and they share what they believe with each other. Um, Asians and Hispanics and, and all these groups stay within their groups and share what little they might know about another race. And that becomes facts for them or that becomes... Yeah their beliefs that's really good yeah um, so so would you say that um your understanding of that uh narrow-mindedness that sort of we all have to some degree was that something you were aware of uh just after having joined the army or was that something that was developing in you uh growing up in philadelphia i didn't have a i, I don't think i had a fear of white people, I don't really have a fear of white people now, but I didn't have a a, a, a caution, I guess, of mm -hmm. white folk, because I'd never been exposed to them. I, I had some, and I had some really great teachers, blacks and whites. And uh, You know, what's interesting, uh, what you just said to me sort of makes me think that you said, well, because you weren't exposed to them. Well, those, I would submit that those white military guys that shared their black jokes with you, they probably weren't exposed to blacks either, right, right. but they still had these stories. Right. I'm, I'm a little guy, and I remember one of them told me one time, they're like, you're the, you're the littlest black guy I've ever heard of. I was like, what? Because I guess they thought we would be these big brutes that grew to be six feet tall and 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 whatever. They, I'm not six feet tall, so... um. It, it it was just kind of odd when you when you start taking in things and paying attention to stuff like that. It it gets pretty interesting. Our military, I think, is a great melting pot for lots of races, um, lots of different races. Um, but you can have your problems. And I remember when I first went to Fort Raleigh, Kansas. That was the most racist experience in the military I'd, I'd had. <clears throat> when I got there with a sergeant and they were trying to find me a room, but they had a whole barracks full of people. And I discovered later they were trying to find me a room to put me in a room with another black NCO. 
instead of putting me in a room with just any NCO. Mm-hmm. They were purposely trying to match me up with another black guy in a room instead of having me in a room with a white or an Asian or any, any other race. It, it was kind of crazy. And Which I, would have been good for both of you, probably. Probably would have been good for both of us, but uh, yeah. it, it was pretty ugly. So uh, what kind of a room arrangement did you end up with? I was in a room with a Jamaican guy. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we, we so you were both different. dark, but from different different parts yeah. of the world, really. I guess in their eyes, we were the same, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, that that speaks to the whole idea that you mentioned earlier that many of us think you mentioned that you had thought that all white people were the same and right. discovered yeah. that was yeah. wrong. Yeah, there you go. And that's the same on our side. Right. We think of all black all people black. being the same. It's like, yeah. My, yeah. And, I, and I'll go here and, and share with you because we're talking, but my wife is Jamaican. But if you see us together, you just say, hey, that's a. That's a damn good looking uh, black couple because yeah. we're damn good looking. <laughs> but uh, yes, you are. But um, but sometimes she's she'll sit and say, you know, I, I don't I don't get it what's going on because it wasn't like this where she came from mm-hmm. in Jamaica. Um, I've worked in Virginia, part of the Pentagon. I've worked in uh, here at Fort Lewis, um, in uh, Arizona or Texas, and. You know, just a bunch of other places, and and they were great. I remember being in Texas one time. I'll tell you this short story. We had a uh, a group go down there, and uh, <laughs> one of my supervisors was like, "Hey, uh, Jarv, you're not going to be going off post with these guys because they were going to go out after our little training thing to this bar, and it was somewhere near Fort uh, Hood, Texas. But I guess there's some sort of um, hillbilly type town near there and I was like no I'm not going I was going to stay here like man because I don't think it's going to be a good time if you go and I was like what it's like they're, they're pretty racist so these guys went out to this town wherever it was at but I found out they were racist against blacks and anybody that wasn't white and they were racist against whites that were from up north it was, it was pretty hillbilly type town the, the, the guys came back talking about like man they didn't like yankees they didn't like blacks they didn't like they were just and and it was crazy so so today we can talk about again my transition into adulthood and i guess my awakening <laughs> okay um I've, I've always tried to to uh learn more about me being black and, and our history. So I've been to black museums, black history museums and all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, I've tried to bring my kids up to make them aware of those things and, and, and what we're about in our culture. And I remember, uh, here's a plug for uh, Baltimore. I went to Baltimore and they have a blacks and wax museum there. And uh, I, I, we, we shared before how when you're in school, they teach you about slavery and slavery happened and it was bad. And then Lincoln came and he fixed it. So now we're not slaves anymore. And I think a lot of people in our country think everything should be hunky-dory and they don't understand why we're still having these riots and we're still, blacks are still struggling and fussing about where we're at and why we don't have this and why we don't have that. 
Um, my opinion and from what I've read, we were never set up to be equal to whites. Um, and the slave story that people tell is a a G-rated story. It's it's super nice. Like, oh man, what happened to those slaves? Were that was a bad thing. Don't do that again. Now, what happened to the Jews? That was absolutely horrible. And and they give you some details about some things that happened to Jews, and people are appalled and and just it affects people completely different. But when you really look into what happened to slaves and and how we got to where we're at, it should be just as appalling, if not more. Than what happened to the Jews. And it happened right here in our country. The United States. Now I'm saying that the United States. Invented slavery. Because I've read some of that history. And we didn't. But we did some horrible things. Here in this country to slaves. Yes. And when you say. when Not you. But when, when it said that they were set free. They, they kind of weren't. We even have a holiday coming up. Juneteenth. That said. Those slaves didn't even know they were free. They found out later right. that they were still being held and they were supposed to be free. Um, so we went to this uh, history museum in Baltimore. And when you go in in the basement, they had this replica of a slave ship. Um, I remember my kids were younger and they this is a museum that's showing you a replica and they were scared to go in. Because you had the sound of the ship, you had moaning going on and 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 people yelling and 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 it was a it was a serious replica of a slave ship, and they had little pictures and and diagrams and models of some of the things that were happening on the slave ship the the women being raped the the people being put in these the storage places that they put the the slaves in that they brought them across the sea here to America. Um, the slaves that would jump off the ship or, or try to get away and escape or try to starve themselves to death because they didn't want to go. And I learned as an adult that slave ships were followed by sh- pools of sharks because they got fed regularly. The carcasses of the slaves that disobeyed and, and that were cast overboard. And we were cargo, so if you got here you were approaching the United States with too many slaves, you had to get rid of them, so you just tossed them overboard. Hmm. Um, it, it was just that trip alone was horrible you didn't get here like you're doing a cruise ship in three or four days it took you a month or longer to get here from Africa or wherever you went because you dropped off slaves in other places um, you go from that to upstairs they had another uh, a lynching exhibit and that lynching exhibit blew my mind. There are pictures up in the lynching exhibit of blacks, men, women, and children that were lynched. We just talked about the thing in in California that were lynched all the way up until my lifetime, your lifetime here in the United States. And it it shouldn't be happening. Uh, my, My argument when I saw that was in in the in the Jewish community in the, in the, during the Holocaust and and what the Nazis did, 
if you find a picture <clears throat> and you can identify anybody in that picture that was part of that, I don't care where he is or she is in the world. I don't care how old they are, how prominent they are, where they're at. They take them back over to Germany and make them stand trial for the atrocities that they did. Here in the United States, we have pictures of men and women cheering and standing by and watching these lynchings and these burnings happen in front of their homes. And we do nothing. We tell the blacks, we should get over that. That happened then and it's over. When you could have prosecuted those people that did those crimes, you could have done something to those people that did. You had proof that they were there holding guns or hatchets or knives or machetes or whatever they used to mutilate some of the bodies, to hang some of the bodies. It's ridiculous. I, I remember we go back to the military. I remember having a class about um, terrorist groups and we were doing their thing. And I like to poke the bear every once in a while. So I was like, what about the Klan? So somebody jumped up, like, what about the Black Panthers? I'm like, okay, what about the Black Panthers? They were annihilated. You got rid of them. You, you, in, in this country, they were beat down. They were separated. They were arrested. We won't even go into whether they were guilty of anything. I remember seeing the Black Panthers growing up thinking, man, what a great organization. I might join that. They weren't around when I got old enough to join. They weren't there. But the Klan is still here. It still operates. They march. This is the terrorist group that strikes fear in the hearts of some black. They were put there to do that. They were like the police back when we first were freed. They went around to make sure we were supposedly doing what we were supposed to be doing in their eyes. And if you weren't, then they just brought you back or they strung you up and they killed you. But we're in 2020, still arguing for the country to get rid of this group. But we're going to fight racism. <laughs> Which one is he going to do? We're going to fight racism, but we're going to allow the Klan to march. That's as racist as you can get. Yeah. Oh, we have so much work to be done. Yeah. And and some of the work, like the Klan, that's a simple thing. Get rid of it. We know what's going to happen. They're going to go off and form different groups. You have these white supremacist groups that I just saw on the news where they were infiltrating the Black Lives Matter march and killing law enforcement. But had somebody not done the proper thing for that, we would have got blamed for that. Black Lives Matter would have been blamed <coughs> for killing law enforcement. Which the, there are some people that are like, I really like to help the blacks. Ah, but they killed those law enforcement people. And I get that people are upset about the rioting, but I, I have a Facebook page, and I told them on the Facebook page, if you're more upset about the rioting than you are about watching a man dying on TV under the knee of a police officer, we're not friends anymore. I, I, I deleted you from my page. We can still talk, try to try to come to something, but I'm, I'm not going to, there's some things I'm just not going to put up with. I'm, I'm I'm not going to argue the petty stuff. The blacks have been frustrated for a long time. I, one of my stories is a kid. Well, America, you know, one of the things I think you and I 
um, connect on, I guess. We're both patriots, I believe. We both served in the military. Um, We want America to succeed. And America is better than this. There's no question about it. This country is better than this. We can do better than this. I remember thinking that I I, I went in the military for, for, for money, right, to get out of my environment, that kind of thing. But I remember how proud I was to to go in the military and to serve and to say, I had done this for my country. So, if if anybody should be angry, I think I should be crazy angry to find out that a couple years ago we had a, a, a Kaepernick kneeling for the flag and some things that were going on back then about racism. And then you find out about these different verses in the Pledge of Allegiance to the Flag or the National Anthem, I'm sorry, that excluded us. I'm like, what? I served thinking I was doing this great thing. And it's almost like behind my back, you were laughing at me thinking, look, you serving, raising his hand to the flag and blah, 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 blah. And we didn't even really mean for them to be here. I understood what he was doing. I thought he was unfairly vilified about what he was doing, and the president didn't help any by saying they should, you know, fire this son of a bitch or whatever it was he said. You know, yeah. I mean, I thought those people were wrong then, and it turns out now with the NFL having just in the last week or so apologized that they didn't recognize that for what it was, but listen, I'm listen not so this. sure how honest that is. Listen to this apology. Yeah, The NFL came on TV. I, I forgot the guy's name. I, I don't follow him. Goodell, is it? Okay. He comes on and says uh, some apology about they were wrong about uh, what happened back then. They were wrong about uh, their stance on the kneeling. Right. He won't. He didn't even at that time mention Kaepernick's name. If anybody deserved an apology, it was Kaepernick. Yeah. And 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 I remember the stories went out that he was being back. He was being blackballed. They're like, no, he's not being being blackballed. He just nobody wants to play with him because he's not good and he's not this and he's not. I'm like, he's being blackballed. Because you didn't like his kneeling. Nobody would hire him. Even the, the, and I'm not trying to put people on blast, not that I care, but the Seahawks uh, coach said we should have took him. Yeah, I heard that. Now, they hire some interesting people. I'm not a Seahawks fan. They hire some interesting people. People with handicaps, people that weren't first-round draft picks, some some fairly controversial people. They have. So what is your response for why you didn't get Kaepernick if you thought you should have got him? I feel like exactly the same as what you shared uh, a bit ago. I feel like uh, in some ways I was told a totally sanitized version right. of this whole deal. Totally sanitized because I didn't understand. I I sort of came away like you mentioned earlier that you know Lincoln fixed this and and then you look at the whole Reconstruction period yeah. following that with some horrible stuff that happened. 
as 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 a black man in this country, sometimes I look at things and I'm like, how come I haven't been told this before? Are you scared to tell me my history? Or does my history not matter so much that you feel it's insignificant? We just had a movie come out in the last, I want to say five years, ten years maybe, Hidden Figures, about those women that were involved in our space program. That was some that was some movie. How ridiculous is that? We've been going to space for how many years? How, how many decades have we been going to space? And we're just now finding out that there were some black women intimately involved in this accomplishment. The whole country celebrated. It's 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 a shame that uh our history is I was going to say was so colored, but <laughs> <laughs> It was actually whitewashed, I guess you would say. Well, blacks got no recognition for that. I mean, to me, racism and race issues are intertwined everywhere in this country. Um, so I, I heard a guy talking the other day. He said that you got to take it out by its roots. I, I don't know if we waited too long to get it out. It's so embedded and deep in our history. I'm afraid to say I don't. I don't know if we'll ever get it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you a story about uh, when my kids were little. <laughs> they were outside playing, and there was black kids. I remember there were Asian kids there. There were white kids. And they were up the street playing. I lived in Oklahoma, and uh, my 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 daughter came running up to the house. She's like, "Dad, they're downstairs." I mean, they're down the street and. They're fussing and, and the parents are out there because this little boy had called some of the kids the N-word. And I was like, what? So I go down the street to see what was going on. And it was on our block. It was right down the street from us. And I get down there and all these parents out there fussing. And they're doing what parents do. They were trying to um, figure out what had happened and, and settle why these kids were all upset. So I, I stopped and I listened to what they were saying and the one little kid had went around and called a couple of the other kids the N-word. So I looked at him and I asked one of the Asian kids, I said, did he call you the N-word? He said, no. So I asked another Asian kid, did he call you the N-word? He said, no. I asked the white kid, I said, did he call you the N-word? He said, no. I asked another white kid, did he call you the N-word? He said, no. I said, so who did he call the N-word to? And like three or four of the black kids raised their hand. I said, so he didn't call none of the other kids the N-word? He said, no. So I took my two daughters, because my son wasn't born yet. I said, if he called you the N-word, punch him in the damn face. And they were like, what? You know, the parents were like, oh my God, why would you? I said, listen, he was taught that. He was taught specifically to call the black kids the N-word. He didn't call the Asian kids the N-word. He didn't call the other white kids the N-word. It's not like a word that was kind of accidentally learned as a kid. He was taught how to use this word. Somebody, and I looked at the people whose house we were standing in front of, somebody in your house taught him that. So I'm going to teach my kids, if you want to teach that, to kick your kid's ass. Kick your kid's butt. 
And the other parents looked at me. I said, I'm done here. He called y'all that name, whip his butt. And I'm on. It's it we learned this racism thing. It's crazy. That's true. Kids aren't born with that. They're not. When, when, when uh, again, from my childhood growing up, I didn't know, I'm, I'm going to say this, I didn't know that uh, whites did not like to be called. I didn't, I didn't know what racial terms whites didn't want to be called because we didn't talk about you. But then I learned that if you called whites uh, uh, white trash or trailer trash, it really offended them. So those are two terms that I do not use. Why would I use that? That's derogatory. It's, it's an ugly thing. So if you learn that something offends somebody, why use it? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and, and when, you, when, when you're black growing up, I remember when we moved out here in 2002, my kids have come back and uh, told me how a, a truck pulled. My son just told me the story the other day. Again. He said, remember the time I told you I was outside playing and this truck pulled past and then it stopped up ahead of them. They were riding their bikes and he pulled up alongside the truck and they called him the N-word, told him to go home. You don't belong right here. You N-word kids need to go home. Now, he couldn't describe the truck for me. Probably fortunate. Because I wanted to go out and find those folk. Because you get fed up. You get frustrated. You get frustrated when it happens to you. But when it starts happening to your kids, you really tend to get a little angry. Yeah. You say something inappropriate to me, I, I can kind of fix myself or do what I got to do to adjust to it. But when you start bothering people's kids, or, or you start teaching, and I love kids. When you start teaching them those kind of things, we're in a sad situation. When when you're not, if 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 this if this if on TV I watched a cop apprehend somebody and kneel on their neck and they were white, and I saw that, I would be hurt. I would be outraged. As I think everybody would that saw this thing that happened to George Floyd. But we've watched it again and again and again. And it's ridiculous that it, I, I want to say nothing changes. Even in the midst of the riots and the coronavirus and all the stuff that's happening. You have more of it happening. You have the hangings. Do you think this time feels any different to you than what you know has happened in the past, some of which you've been around experience as well? I, I do think it's changed a little bit in that uh, I'm, I'm, my hope is that we don't just protest now. The summer comes and we all take a vacation. And then when it comes back in the fall, we move on. Business as usual. Business as usual. Yeah. Um, 
But if you're a racist and you become a cop and you get the power that police officers get and you start doing things that start revealing that you're a racist, something should happen to you. You should get fired. You should go to jail. Especially if you cause the death of the people that you're supposed to be protecting. Uh, uh, police work is messy work. I get, uh, it, I get right, that, it and be. it and it can have its moments of terror and all of this stuff. I I, and I understand that, and I really appreciate that. You know that folks are willing to take that job and protect us, but I don't, I don't really understand in so many of these cases why it's so difficult to do the apprehension part. And I, and I. I try not to bash the police. I had a lot of, I have a lot of friends that are police officers, law enforcement. But you have these guys saying that they were scared for their life. I don't see no women police officers out there shooting people up, talking about how they were scared for their life. And if anybody should be scared, and I'm not saying women are the weaker sex or anything, but. If the men are scared, why are the women not scared? And why aren't we having more women shoot people? That's not a demand to have women shoot people, by the way. I'm just saying. Yeah, I get With it. anybody. I, I have friends. I like, uh, I listen to one of your other uh, uh, podcasts. <laughs> Michaela, I think. Michaela, yeah. She said, if you can... Uh, if you're counting your black friends or your white friends, <laughs> you might have a problem. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. So uh, so I have tons of friends of, of all kinds of races. Some of them, I don't even know what race they are. Cause I, I, I mean, that kind of thing, I don't want to say. It doesn't, doesn't come up. It, it, you're right. Yeah. We, we're just friends. I, I like you or we have something in common and, and I consider you a friend. Um I have some uh, friends that um, are willing to talk to me about some things with current events that uh, that can be a little troubling. Um, I, I had a friend. I was I was just out with him, and he was talking about uh, he was talking about how he he didn't agree that they were making. George Floyd out to be a hero. I, I said, they're not making him out to be a hero. He's like, well, you saw the funeral and they're doing this and this. I said, bro, that's, that's not even an issue. George Floyd just happens to be the most recent case at that time. He was the most recent case and the most visual case that we had. I said, some people this is national TV he was on and you watched a lynching. It was unintentional. It wasn't programmed. Nobody got on there and said, the next thing you're going to see is going to be disturbing. So turn away from your TV. You just saw it happening. And people reacted from that as, as they should. But he is right now the face of we got a problem in this country. Right. Um, but the fact that you can move his face aside and be replaced with Emmett Till 
Emmett Tillman or uh, Trayvon Martin or, or any number of people, we got a problem. I'm not making those people heroes. Those are just the names of the people that have been used to point out that we got a problem. We can't put the names of the people up there that we have a problem with. I, I, I think not talking about race is a problem. I, I think when you, and I know there are HR people out there that, that cringe about it. Mm-hmm. But to not talk about race is a problem. It's the elephant in the room for people. Yes, it really is. And and that's to a not, great way to put it. To not talk about it to me is crazy. When you know it's there, you know it's there. Why is it the elephant in the room? People either is are that scared you, to talk about it. Do you? Would you say that applies equally to blacks and whites? The not talking about race are. Oh, yeah. Are blacks more inclined to talk about race or about equally disinclined to talk about race as whites are, from your perspective? Um, I would say we're probably more inclined to talk about it just because we're living it. Yeah, we, yeah. we, we, we are the subject of it. I didn't purchase my first home until I was 40. 42 I moved out here um I can tell you that growing up in the projects I really had no awareness of us buying and owning homes I thought everybody lived in I I, I hate to admit this about myself but I thought everybody lived in roach infested rental homes or that kind of thing We, we didn't I used to hear about, you know, big uh, actors or prominent sports figures that, that, that did things. And I was like, oh, that must be nice for them. But not your normal black person. That, yeah. I'm, yeah. I knew nobody that owned a home. Grow, so, growing up, you didn't right. know anybody that owned a home. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was a nice little dream, but it, it wasn't something that I... Grew up wanting. I was just talking to my wife about um, growing up, thinking people would always ask us what we wanted to be when we grew up. And to me, to tell me an astronaut, I was like, "Who are you talking to? I'm not gonna be no astronaut. That's not for me." Um, if you ask me about being a police officer, I, I think I could. I could I could vision myself doing that. I didn't want to do it, but I could do that. If you ask me about being a janitor, I I, I could see that. Um, I didn't know how to to move in the direction to be a real estate person. Uh, to to be some of the things that that people talked about a doctor and a nurse. To me, and maybe I was a little lazy, but I was thinking, I don't want to go to school that long to do that. Nah, I'm good. Didn't want to do that. Uh, But I listen to kids now talking about what they want to be when they grow up. And they're talking about uh, architectural designers and and, and 
uh, fashion designers or, or, or just different things that, I, that that never came into my view when I was growing up. I was like, you want to be a what? One of the way, one of the ways that racism is allowed to spread is by not communicating with people. So the more we communicate to each other, not just amongst our own races or our own people, but crossing over to other races and other cultures and other things and, and um, trying and experimenting and mixing that up. I remember thinking, yep, the United States is a serious melting pot where you mix everything all up and it might come out to looking like just something kind of plain, but it's mixed up and it's stirred up and it's good. When you start trying to divide it up and not communicate and keeping what you have to yourself and somebody keeping what they have to themselves, and racism is, 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 I think, ignorance intertwined with um, fear, intertwined with selfishness. It's a whole lot of things mixed in there that, that shouldn't be that we don't talk about we don't we, we, you can't even really define it to get it to identify it to get it out and, and it's so kind of unseen until it's seen um, I heard I think Mikhail and maybe even Josh talk about uh, churches being involved and and I'm guilty of liking the music that Michaela was talking about in church. <laughs> but but I've gone to other churches where um, if 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 churches are about love, then, then I can handle your music. Whatever it is. Um, I, I'm still kind of old school. I believe love conquers all. And so if we if, if we say we're really in church and we're really, and I don't want to push my religion out on anybody, I believe in trusting God. And I think racism is a serious tool that Satan uses to divide us all in way different areas between families, between communities, between jobs and professions, all, all that. So if we're allowing him to move in us and to... to to be the, the, the children that he wants us to be, then, then we can we can make changes, we can do things, we can we can get ahead. Um and and, and, and when we're doing that, sometimes I'm guilty of some things that I may not think that I'm guilty of. I'm I'm not the expert on racism. I I might want to change my story about me being the expert on being black because <laughs> I might have some proof. <laughs> you can't change that I, part. I might have Sorry. some proofs in that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, well, I should have said I should have said on <laughs> on the recording, and I didn't. But um, one of the things when I uh, start these out, I'd like to say that I grew up in a white bubble in Fircrest here in okay. in West Tacoma, and uh, had no. My my white bubble was about like your black bubble, I guess, in a right. sense. I didn't have any awareness of blacks or any of that at all it's, growing up. One one of the things that I, I realized is we don't know what we don't know. Right. We're, we're not even aware of what we don't know, so we don't know to ask it or to to, to 
We don't know that we need to know that. Right. Um, m- m- uh, my wife, we were talking one time, and she said, when you, as we grow up here in this country, you learn about white people. The commercials are white. The programs are white. The, the consumer, they assume, is white. I remember reading about head and shoulders, dandruff, and all this kind of stuff, and uh, tanning lotions and, and, and all these kind of things. And I'm like, okay. You just dismissed it because you know they weren't really talking about me. But you didn't realize you were being taught white things. Um, one of, another When I first got my assignment in the military, I was with another friend of mine who turned out to be a really good friend. But I'm getting out the shower one day. We were roommates. There wasn't nothing weird going on, but we were roommates. I'm getting out the shower, and I go in the room, and I start putting on lotion. He's he like, what are you doing? Like, I'm putting on lotion. But you just got out the shower. And I got, no, I don't want to be ashy, so I put on lotion. Then at the time, I know it's hard to believe, but I had hair. <laughs> so I stopped greasing my scalp and putting grease in. He's like, you just got out the shower. Why are you putting grease in your hair? I'm like, bruh. What is wrong? He was a white guy, but I call everybody bruh, I guess. I said, um, we got to put grease in our hair because we grease our scalps. And so for him, it was like crazy ridiculous that we we, we, we we groomed ourselves completely different because <laughs> we put grease in our hair and put lotion on and you didn't go outside just looking like that yeah so it was kind of funny it was a learning thing too but yeah I, I remember looking at a movie I, I forgot the name of the movie that too now because I'm having problems with movies where the guy yells out you can't handle the truth and I think a lot of times we talk about this racism stuff. Yeah. People just can't handle the truth. The truth is there. Sometimes it's right there for you to look at. And you was just, that a few good men? It was a few good men. There you go. Yeah. That was the Marine officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a man. Like you want the truth? You really want? You can't handle the truth. Yeah. And, and racism is here. It's been here for a long time. We. This country has done a lot of things to... It's like a, a bad infection that we put the wrong ointment on or something. And it grew and it grew and it, it, it got deeper. It spread to different parts. And and we want to... It's like the coronavirus. We, we don't really have a, uh, a cure for it. And to, to cure it, we're going to have to uncover some things that, that people are not going to be comfortable with. Yeah. Well, I think Josh uh, covered it very nicely in the first podcast, saying that we need to embrace being uncomfortable because that's what it's going to take. And we've got to be willing to be uncomfortable for maybe quite a period of time because this ain't going away easy. Well, I want to uh, really thank you. Uh, Jarvis for Thank being with, I think you're doing a good thing here this is be I I mean I'm serious I I really appreciate you coming on this podcast mm-hmm. and uh it's been uh, uh fun learning some more f- about your uh background and some of your thoughts about racism and the mm-hmm. things that are going on and I hope that our audience will uh 
gleaned some good things out of this podcast as they have the others. I hope. Yeah. Thank you. We're, we're all learning. Our sincere thanks to Jarvis for being our guest today and sharing some insightful personal understandings of racism from the view of an Army veteran that grew up in Philadelphia. There are two important first steps you can each make if you really want to become part of the solution that America is crying out for to close our racial divide. First, begin educating yourself about systemic racism and what is really going on with these long-standing racial problems. To assist you with that effort, you can go to the bottom of our website at myawakeningpodcast.com and check out our resources section. There are web-linked resources there that have most impacted my journey along the way, and it will be continually updated to include more. Secondly, begin earnestly seeking a true relationship with someone who does not look like you. As challenging as that may sound, I can testify that it will ultimately bring you a fuller understanding of others and great personal joy as well. If hearing Jarvis today on My Awakening podcast was meaningful for your journey, we hope you will consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends. We now have an active My Awakening podcast Facebook page where you may go to share comments and thoughts about what you hear on our podcasts. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to sharing more thought-provoking content with you in the next week's episode. Please keep listening, and remember that together we can make the systemic changes that are needed to heal America's racial divide and achieve justice for all.